All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Isn't it wonderful that we can meet in a beautiful air-conditioned building like this? And wonderful chairs. And, uh, wow, I remember my first church I pastored in, in southwest Pennsylvania, out in the country in the early 80s. And we had no air conditioning. We had some ceiling fans. And uh, I remember every summer when it got hot, and it would get hot and muggy, uh, I did the only thing you could do. I'd preach a series on the subject of hell. <laughs> I mean, you talk about getting the point across. Uh, there was no missing the point. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The first thing we discovered in verse 5, because of God's nature, this causes a problem for us because God, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God's perfect and yet we're sinful. And so this creates a dilemma. Now, thank God for Calvary. Because Calvary is where God solves that dilemma for us. But just as light dispels darkness, just as heat dispels cold, so righteousness dispels evil, and someday God will permanently dispel Satan. I was studying this week and a thought occurred to me for the first time. I don't know why I ever saw it. It was something that really was just hiding in plain sight. And by the way, uh, here we are on Sunday morning where the conventional wisdom in American Christendom is uh, we need to really dumb it down for this dumb Sunday morning crowd. I'm not quoting myself. I'm just quoting conventional wisdom. But I don't believe that's what we have here this morning. I believe we have people here that want to get into the Word of God. And so that's why we're getting into the Word of God, and we're going to study the Bible. And uh, that's what this church is about. It's about people that want to learn the Bible. If you want something else, I'm sure it's out there. But uh, So we're going to be in the Bible. We're going to be in the Bible. But... I was studying this week, and something occurred to me that had never occurred to me before. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but almost every time Jesus encountered a demon-possessed man or, or, or unclean spirits and demons, and usually in the context of someone who was possessed, those spirits, those demons, those devils, if you will, would always in some form or fashion cower. One time they declared his deity. This is the Son of God. Another time they said, Art thou come here to torment us before the time? And another time they requested to be cast out into, into pigs so they'd have a body to dwell in. But it seemed each time they were in fear for a number of reasons, but not the least of which they were in the presence of the Son of God. And then I got thinking about Satan and his encounters with Christ. And 
The opposite is true. Satan was always belligerent. Always. He refuses in his insane rebellion to even admit the possibility of inevitable defeat. He operates purely out of pride. And he's belligerent. But someday, he will bow both knees. He'll get down on his knees and he will admit that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I thought, what's that all about? You know, God has his angelic armies. God's got his children here. Satan's got his armies, his demonic armies, evil spirits and such, and, and, and his emissaries and workers here as well. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he'll someday rule with a rod of iron, but that's the world, that's the governments of the world, and, and that's going to be to keep unregenerated men in line, which by the way, that's what a lot of civil law and penalty is all about, and when that begins to unravel, well, just look at our big cities, when punishment against crime is not executed speedily according to the book of Ecclesiastes. But how does he rule now? Remember on Wednesday night we're studying John the Apostle. And how does he refer to himself all the time? That disciple whom Jesus loved. And I challenged us to look at ourselves the way John looked at himself before the Lord. Do you see yourself as that disciple whom Jesus loves? I hope you do this morning, because he does. And that's how he rules. He rules with love. He rules his people with a rod of love. <laughs> and as we were talking about in Sunday school, even when he has to chasten us, he does it in love. And then I realize the opposite is true with Satan and his emissaries. And you know there's an illustration in nature for all of this. I've never studied wolves. I've never been around wolves very much. I don't really, in fact, uh, they brought the wolves back here in the Northwest. As far as I'm concerned, they could have left them where they were. <laughs> I don't have any use for them. You say, I like them, fine. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, I don't. And I've read things, I've heard things, and one of the things I learned was that the alpha male, the leader of the pack, rules by fear. And, and the others submit to him, and, they, and here's what they call it, obnoxious submission. They go along, and those that work with wolves will, will, will tell you that they will cower down, and then when the alpha wolf turns his back and walks away a little bit, they, they have this, this low guttural growl that they have. Uh, I, I think among Baptists that would be murmuring and, and disputing. But, <laughs> but they call it obnoxious submission. And they, and they submit. Uh, and, and I'm looking at the devil and his emissaries. And I'm looking at this. And, and God is light. But the devil's about darkness. It's all these contrasts. 
And just as light dispels darkness, heat dispels cold, righteousness dispels evil, God is going to dispel Satan. And the two couldn't be further apart. Don't believe the false philosophy of dualism. That good and evil are eternal and there's this ongoing struggle and it's a question of who's going to win. Listen, God is eternal, Satan is finite, and Satan is going to lose and God is going to win. And the only reason that God hasn't wrapped this thing up yet is he's bringing more into the kingdom in his mercy. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, the title of the message is, is going, to, going to come up at the end of the message, but I'm going to give you the title. It's, Have You Forgiven Yourself? And it's based on verse 9. Because it tells us if we do confess our sins, God is faithful. And a lot of times the problem is we don't really take God at his word. And we should. By the way, your happiness hinges on this concept. Because I'm going to say to you this morning without fear of contradiction. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how well arranged you can have your circumstances. Which, by the way... Who gets it all the way they want anyways? But even if you could control all of that and your conscience is bothering you, I don't care what you're doing, who you're with, what you're eating, (laughs) what your circumstances are, you will not be happy. And I've seen the people in the midst of the worst of circumstances that have a clear conscience, that have the peace of God which passes all understanding. This this battlefield of the conscience is part of spiritual warfare. And it is so important. And let me just tell you up front. When it comes to knowing you're forgiven, forget the word feel. Believe in the facts of the word of God. Have faith in the word of God. And then the feelings will come. But if you base your forgiveness, if you base your salvation... If you base your walk with God on feelings, I tell young couples in premarital counseling all the time, the biblical definition of love is that it is a decision and a commitment, not a feeling. But if you listen to the music, the poetry, and our current culture, love is defined by a feeling. I'm afraid we as Christians do the same thing with forgiveness. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, but to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Judicially, he forgives us our sins. He acquits us. He slams the gavel down. 
And then he takes care of any unrighteousness, any residuals, any loose ends. And we don't have to run around doing Baptist penance. We don't serve him so that he'll forgive us. We serve him because we're grateful he did forgive us. And because he's gracious. What a wonderful truth. If you look at these chapters early in 1 John, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 25, the main subject is fellowship. And, and, in, and in verses, uh, uh, in chapter 1, verses uh, 5 through 7, uh, we have fellowship by walking in the light. In verses 8 through 10, we have fellowship by having a right attitude about sin. And then from chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 24, we have fellowship by dependence upon our Savior. This battlefield of the conscience is a bigger part of spiritual warfare, and I believe it's underappreciated. Let's look at verse 6 now. Let's look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. By the way, you have no idea how blessed I feel as a pastor, there's that word, (laughs) that I have a congregation that wants to learn the word of God. If you look at verse 6, you're looking at a believer out of fellowship, out of fellowship with the Lord. And the need here is repentance. The need here is repentance. Now, we'll all agree that many people are lost because they refuse to repent. And repentance in its simplest definition, and you can get caught in a real theological quagmire with this one, but in its its simplest definition is just agreeing with God about your condition. Admitting it. For a lost man, it's admitting, yes, God, you're right, I'm lost. And for us as believers, admitting when we're out of fellowship with the Lord. Paul in Acts chapter 20 said he preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. For the lost, repentance qualifies a man for a pardon. It does not entitle him to it. Trusting Christ as Savior entitles him to it. That's why I believe we have a lot of non-qualified conversions these days. Because sin is glossed over. And Jesus is just added to our lives is another way of improving the quality of our earthly life so that we can have our best life now. But that's not what salvation is, folks. Being a sinner has been replaced by being a victim. Back to the believer, though. Back to the believer. In verse 6, the believer that's out of fellowship with the Lord, the need is repentance. And I don't know about you, but when I get backslidden, I can sometimes avoid the more obvious sins, but I'm pretty good at reverting to the uh, Baptist-approved sins. Grumbling, complaining, griping, murmuring, ingratitude. 
story goes of a man that was walking around with Limburger cheese on his mustache and came to the conclusion at the end of the day that the whole world stinks. <laughs> Sometimes when we think everything stinks, it may be that we're smelling ourselves. Sometimes when it seems that everything is wrong and we're critical, we might just be seeing ourselves. But as was aptly put in Sunday school, sometimes we're loath to acknowledge it. Notice in verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. I'm going to give you a little mathematical equation here or problem, if you will. Saying we have fellowship with him and then adding walking in darkness equals, verse 6, we're lying. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What is the answer here? It's repentance. It's repentance. By the way, that's why we have, we call it an altar. Maybe that's not the right word for it. It's just a place to come and pray. And oftentimes at the invitation, I encourage you to, whatever God's saying to you, to take care of it right then and there because we walk away from this place and then the distractions start to happen. But let me ask you a question this morning, and it was brought out in Sunday school this morning. Do you come... To church to be corrected? Now that's not the only reason we would come to church. We'd come to church to get blessed. But you know, being corrected can be a blessing. Uh, we come to church and sometimes we're entertained. But do we come to church to be entertained? Sometimes we come to church and we laugh together. And nothing wrong with that. But do we come to church to laugh? But in the end, do we come to church to be corrected? We sing the song, uh, we sing the song uh, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But too often, we know that we're sinners. We just honestly can't think of any sins we've committed in the last recent while. <laughs> Here is someone that needs repentance, somebody that needs to get back with God, and they're deceiving themselves, and they're saying that they have fellowship with him, but they're walking in darkness, and so God says that equals we're lying and do not the truth. And then we go to verse 7, and here's some real blood-bought fellowship with other believers, which comes and originates with fellowship with God, for in verse 7 he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, remember in verse 5 we established that God is light, there's no darkness in him, it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. By the way, one of the surest ways to see if you belong in verse 6 if you belong in verse 6. And like I said, as, as independent Baptists, we're good at not committing the real overt stuff, although we're more than capable. 
But we're good at committing those, those Baptist sins of critical spirit and grumbling and murmuring and griping and being unthankful. And, and so we should check ourselves. But in verse 7, we have real blood-bought fellowship with other believers, which originates from fellowship with God. Walking in the light as he is in the light... Amos asked the question in Amos chapter 3. He said, can two walk together except they be agreed? I think oftentimes in the Pauline epistle when Paul talks about fellow laborers or yoke fellows. And this produces fellowship with one another. Laboring together, praying together, worshiping together. Uh, Let me say this. Talking about the Broncos only gets us so far. I'm afraid of a lot, a lot of what is just carnal chatter passes off as fellowship. But Paul talked about fellow laborers working together for the Lord. Uh, fellowship involves worshiping together as we're doing this morning. Uh, praying together, praying for one another. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us. And I love that next word. Look at that next little three-letter word, all sin. Folks, our position is secure in Christ. Uh, keep your hand here and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice how most of this in the past tense. He's already made us to be partakers of the inheritance. He's already delivered us from the power of darkness. He's already translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We already have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Our position in Christ is secure. Our fellowship depends, according to verse 7, on walking in the light. Our fellowship with God, our fellowship with one another. I think so often, as a practical matter, our fellowship with one another can sometimes break down because one or the other or both aren't in fellowship with the Lord. I had an older guy that's since gone home to be with the Lord that discipled me shortly after I was saved. And he said, you know, we'll always do all right if the Jesus in me is fellowshipping and talking to the Jesus in you. He said, well, we're going to have problems is if, and his name was George, if the George in me is talking to the Rick in you. <laughs> and that's where we get into trouble sometimes, don't we? We're secure in Christ. Our position in Christ is secure. But it's not always possible to have fellowship with every Christian that we meet. I wish it was so. I wish it was so. I love graduations. I love weddings. I don't care much for funerals other than for saved people that they went home to be with the Lord. But the processing of it, the digesting of all that, the letting go is difficult. And I love what being with God's people in those occasions, those that are walking in the light, those with 
whom we can have fellowship with. But you know who's always there too? Not, not in a majority, but there's always a few at least, is those that are saved, Colossians chapter 1, but they're no longer walking with God, and the occasion forces us all together. You ever had that awkward experience? And you're nice, you're polite, you do the best you can, but it's just not the same. It's not fellowship. It's not fellowship. Folks, I love the social aspect of church, but that's not principally what it's about. It's about verse 7. And then we get to verse 8, and he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, it's a hypothetical statement. If we say we have no sin. And, and again, this, this, is, this is someone who is either saved or professing to be saved. And, and I know this because of what follows. Look at verse 9. He's going to talk about us as believers confessing our sins. So we're dealing with somebody here that's saved, and I've met people who profess to have no sin nature and have no need of confession of sins, according to verse 9. Many years ago, when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania in the early 80s, I went to the hospital and visited a man. I was asked to see him. And uh, in the course of our conversation, I, I wanted to share the gospel with him. And, and one of the things I asked him is I, I asked him about you know, being a sinner and, and, and having forgiveness of sins. And one of the things he told me was that he was saved over 20 years ago and he, and he has not committed a sin since then. I didn't know whether to vomit or ask for his autograph. And the only way we can really believe that or claim that is if we're guilty of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 when he said, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The only way we can make that claim is to lower the standard of sin to maybe two or three or four or maybe five at the most of things that we don't do. You know, the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. Man, if I had a buck for every foolish thought I ever had. I could retire real wealthy. And so he tells us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the truth is not in us. So often we work against ourselves. It was lunchtime. The worker opened his lunchbox, looked in it, and growled, Cheese sandwiches, cheese sandwiches, always cheese sandwiches. Fellow worker said, well, then why don't you ask your wife to make some other kind? Wife, he said, who's married? I make these myself. <laughs> and so often that's the case. So often that's the case. Now we get to verse 9. Now we get to the crux of the matter. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here we see the necessary daily cleansing for believers to stay in fellowship with God so we might 
live in verse 7. Now, a few preliminary observations are, number one, we're not saved by confessing all of your sins. We are saved principally from who we are. And that's why Jesus said a man must be born again. Because an unregenerated man, no matter what he does, he's still an unregenerated man doing whatever he's doing or not doing whatever he's not doing. We're not saved initially by confessing our sins. Not, not as Roman priestcraft would suggest to us or the Hindus bathing in the Ganges River or somebody being baptized for the dead or somebody representing as a godparent or on and on and on. We could go in different religious processes of proxy. We are saved this morning principally from who we are. We talked about the five judgments of Scripture. We talked about the believer's judgment at Calvary, where Christ, where Christ takes the judgment for our sins and the penalty for our sins, and that's how we're saved. But what about our lives after that? What about our works? What about judgment of those works? Again, we're born again and saved from what or who we are. But I want you to think about something this morning that I think is a very important distinction. I want you to take your, your Bibles and in one hand, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm looking for the jumping off point here because we're not going to finish, but hopefully we'll find a good way to wrap it up and pick it up again next week. But Revel And then Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. 1 John, 5, 1 John 1 9 is, is talking to us about confessing our sins once we're saved to stay in fellowship with the Lord so we might live in verse 7 in the light. So then the question comes up well, what of the judgment of the believer? We're all going to stand before God. What kind of judgment will it be? 1 Corinthians chapter, 1, or chapter 3 and verse 13 says, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, <coughs> excuse me, yet so as by fire. The bottom line here is after we're saved, we are no longer judged for our person. We went to Calvary with Christ. He took the penalty of our sins. We're born again. We're a child of God. Our works are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Our works are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And we are born twice and we die once. Now I want you to see the lost man. Go to Revelation chapter 20. And the difference is stark. The difference is stark. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And that's an excellent description of lost. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. That's an important phrase to note. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man, there's that phrase again, according to their works. They were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, after we're saved, our works are judged. But for the lost, they themselves, their person, they are judged according to their works. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between being saved and being accepted in the beloved and having our works judged as a steward for rewards and being in this situation in Revelation chapter 20 where the person themselves, we are judged according to our works. And the Bible tells us that all of our righteousnesses, all of our natural righteousnesses are as a filthy rag and our iniquities do fade as a leaf. The lost are now judged for who they are and they are judged according to their works. And how often have you heard it, especially if you do any amount of personal work? I'm okay. I don't need Christ. I'm doing good. Maybe it's a result of some religious program that they're following, some path that some religion, even with the name of Christendom, splattered across the front of it, and they think they're doing good, and what God will do is show that unregenerated sinner the proof of his unregenerated condition by judging him according to his works. I don't really think we can appreciate how much trouble we were in before we trusted Christ. But maybe this will help us a little bit. So many of us thought that the handful of little things that we did right were going to atone for the mountain of things that we did wrong. And so God takes that convoluted thinking at the great white throne judgment and begins to show them who they were and what they are and so instead of being born twice and dying once, they are born once and they die twice. I've read you this quote before, but former mayor of New York, Mr. Bloomberg, he's quoted as saying, I am telling you if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Well, you got one part right. It's not even close. <laughs> and folks, I want to close with this idea this morning. How good is it to have your sins forgiven? How good is it to be a child of God? 
I'm not going to stand here and tell you that in this present evil world, it's easy to walk with God. We know it's not. But how good is it to be born again, to be saved, to be translated into the kingdom of his dear son, out of the kingdom of darkness, and to be accepted in the beloved. Folks, I'm glad. Let's go back and and, and we'll close by looking at this. But I'm glad, 1 John chapter 1, I'm glad that, that, that I get my work out there in, in verse 10, and, and we're going to go here next week, and, or excuse me, in verse 9, and, and not in verse 10, where it says his word, is not, his word is not in us. That's a lost man there in verse 10. He says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Why does John say that? Because the Bible says in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No, 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 God, I'm the exception. I haven't sinned. It says there's none righteous. No, not one. No, 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 God. You got it wrong. I'm righteous. You guys that preach in the jails and the prisons are always coming back with stories of men and women that get saved. And, and, and so much more so than just about any other venue, you could bring the gospel. Why is that? Because most of those people, most, I, I say not all, most of those people know they're sinners. They've been thrown into the crossbar hotel, and they've had some time to think. You know what's wrong with most of the people that aren't in prison? They don't believe that. They don't believe it. So if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. How good it is to be saved. I look at verse 9, and I got to tell you, I give that verse a workout every day. I don't know about you, but I got to give that verse a workout every day. And and I'm not saying this facetiously. I believe my wife is a better Christian than I am. I, I think she walks with God way better than I do. And in fact, I don't know, sometimes she just seems sinless. I've asked her before. Honestly, and, I, and not facetiously, I, I said, do you ever sin? I mean, she'll go, yeah, yeah, I sin. I said, well, well, like what? I mean, I'll say, do you ever have any bad thoughts? Well, yeah. I said, but yeah, I just, I just don't see it. I don't know, maybe it's because I know what a workout I have to give verse 9. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm glad that I don't get to live my life carefree about sin anymore. You ever looked at lost people and just kind of envied them for that? You know, they just kind of just, seems like they just do whatever they want to do. And, you know, I go to zig and when I should be zagging, and I go to zag when I should be zigging, and then I got to get down on my knees and confess to the Lord. And, and uh, but you know what? Having to deal with sin on that level is a whole lot better than having to deal with it on the level we just looked at in Revelation chapter 20. And, you know, there's guys that make horror films. I, I, I don't know much about it. I, the guy you always, Spielberg or whatever his name is, or there's a couple others. But I'm telling you something, I, I'm not aware of anybody touching Revelation chapter 20. 
standing there over the abyss of outer darkness before the throne of God, just at the precipice of heaven that you'll never get into. And for the first time in your existence, you realize that the only thing keeping you from that bottomless pit is the one who's standing there and judging you now. The one you mocked, the one you refused, the one you rejected, the one you sinned against your whole life. And Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says we'll give account of every word in that day. A lost man has no blood to cover those sins. And I don't know how God will do it. You know, you got all those people all that time. He'll figure something out how to do it. <laughs> He'll do it. And a man will have to look and have replayed every time he rejected Christ because he thought he was good enough. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want every action and thought that I've ever had played before a holy God and a bunch of others at the same time. And at some point, I think a lot of them will be saying, Cut! <laughs> Enough! Stop! Folks, if you're saved here this morning, that's never going to happen to you. Oh, you got to wrestle with sin on another level. You're going to be more sensitive to it, sensitive about it. You're living in a hostile environment. You're a sheep. But a lot of this world is a hog pen. And you got to keep coming back to verse 9. But I tell you what, I'd rather deal with it on that level than on the other. You see, go back to verse 5 and we'll close on this. The complication that we have is that God is, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we live in this dark world and we want to have fellowship with the Lord. And we have this tendency to sin, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So God gives us verse 9. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me say this to you in closing. If you go to the Lord and you confess your sins and you walk away not feeling forgiven, just try this this week. Just ignore your feelings and think to yourself, he's faithful. He's faithful. And I may not feel it, I may not see it, but he is faithful and just he has grounds to forgive us. He's just because Jesus is just and he's the justifier of us because of what he did on Calvary. Otherwise, you may end up like the smith in the Middle Ages that was in prison for certain crimes that he had committed. And he was chained to prevent his escape. And owing to having made chains, he began to examine with anxious interest those that bound him. His experience taught him that there usually is a flaw in any chain, and he hoped to discover one in order to escape from bondage. But suddenly, he found on the chain some marks which proved that these chains were of his own making. 
and he had always cherished the reputation of making flawless, unbreakable chains. And this unhappy prisoner immediately gave up any hope of ever being able to get free. Can I say this to you, Christian, this morning? That if you will deal with this sin problem that we all have to deal with because of, as we said in the very beginning in verse 5, the complication of God is light and there's no darkness in him and, and, and we're, we're coming from, from, from the other direction. When God forgives you, will you forgive yourself? Because as we said last week, Satan is happy for us to be guilty but he's just as happy when we're not guilty if we feel guilty because it renders us just about as unhappy and useless as the former. So I ask you the question this morning one more time, have you forgiven yourself? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. When you're done confessing your sins, don't give out tracts so you can be more forgiven. Give out tracts because you are forgiven. When you're done confessing your sins to the Lord, don't pray so you can be forgiven. Pray because you're grateful you are forgiven. When you're done confessing your sins to the Lord, don't give so that you can be forgiven. Give because you are convicted. You, you are forgiven. And tell the world about a wonderful Savior. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for these verses. And help us all to come away with something here today that we can use. It'll be an encouragement. that will be of benefit. As we strive to walk with you in a very sinful world. And you, Lord, you're in the light and there's no darkness in you. Thank you, Lord, that you've provided for us in the person of Christ. And that you are willing that when we, not unlike David in Psalm 51, repent and come to you and apply 1 John 1, 9, you are faithful and just. And you do forgive us of our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, help us not to be an army of believers with our heads hung down and our countenance sad but rejoicing rejoicing Lord we don't want to sin and we ask for more victory over sin but when our feet get dirty come in contact with this world help us Lord to apply what you've given us and get that victory for it's in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand and take our hymnals and go to number 553 Number 553, Come Thou Found. Come Thou Found of every blessing Tune my heart to sing Thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious songs Sung by flaming tongues above Praise a mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy reward.
to grace, how great I tender. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. All right. Uh, Brother Sean Holes, would you come on up and close us in a word of prayer, please? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this gathering. God, thank you for the saints. God, thank you for our love for us, the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, God, that we can come here and, and, Lord God, we can learn of you, learn from you, Lord God. Would you bless these saints today? Would you, God, equip us so that we can be a, a brighter light in a dark world, God, that we can be saltier, God, and that we can live a life that honors you, Lord God. Let us go out into the world and tell people the truth about your son, Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Lord God. Oh, how we love thee today, God. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen.